Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 44 of Swimming Upstream. We made it. It's the end of the season. The Miami Marlins season is over. Uh, they win a nice 69 games, but uh, we'll go no further uh, from this point on. So uh, it's been a fun season for Fish on the Farm covering the Marlins uh, in our eighth season of coverage for this team. And we're going to wrap it up this way. Uh, with our minor league awards show, the Marlins announced these not too long ago. Uh, we're going to do our own version of it today. It's slightly different, which we'll get into in a minute. But I do have some people to bring in, first of all, back with me uh, after one episode or a couple episodes off, I should say, uh, is my buddy and my co-host on the show, Daniel DeVivo. So Danny, man, welcome back in. It's a pleasure to have you back with me and with us today. We have two great guests to get to as well. But man, Welcome back. Tell us what's going on in Columbia. And then I'm going to get to you and these guys as well. I really want to know just a brief summation, if you can, of this Miami Marlins season. We usually cover the minor leagues, me and you, but give me a brief summation because we always follow along, of course, of your thoughts about the Miami Marlins in 2022. Go ahead. Hey, Alex. Happy, happy to be here as always. It's definitely been some time. Um, Talk about the Marlins season, man. I thought, I thought this was going to be a happy, a happy um, episode, man. It I is. Mean, we're getting the bad out of the way first, then we're going to get to the good. So we're, 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 <laughs> we're, we're all right. Gonna- all right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, just a huge disappointment. Uh, it's just, you know, I can't find the words. Um, you know, it's ended up being the ninth worst team, but it felt even worse than that. Um the pitching was there, of course, but wow, man. I mean, I can't even think of a hitter who did better than was expected of him. And I think that sums it up. You know, like you can think about any player. Maybe we can find one or two, but not the prospects that came up. Not the, well, I mean, maybe a couple. Not the, the hitters that weren't supposed to hit. Injuries, everything, um, just just really just negative stuff hopefully they can build something from it but um still pretty bleak uh uh, hoping to see many changes i'm not expecting the wallet to come out (laughs) like at least um as much as we'd want so i'm expecting some trades hopefully they they um hopefully they make the right decisions and bring in the right people but um, I'm just let's let's just wait to see because we were all expecting a big jump from 2021 to 2022, and there just you know there just wasn't. Uh, apart from that, just obviously just Sandy Alcantara. Um, that was amazing to watch. It's hurt to watch as well. On the other hand, because you know he should have won 25 games, um, and this wasn't the case because of that run support. So, yeah, I'll keep our, our eyes open and, and see um, how this offseason goes. Yeah, for sure. Definitely right. Um, writing was kind of pretty much almost on the wall uh, from very early in the season that this, it was it, I thought I thought from the beginning it was going to be tumultuous for the Marlins. Um, they just didn't do enough in the offseason. Of course, they had Jeter leave and Kim take over and then Kim take over completely, I should say. And then it just it just it just really snowballed. Um, I'll always point back to the the moment that I always point to that Eli and Kevin know about and you as well, Danny, that they couldn't do two things at once when it came to acquiring outfielders and bullpen pieces. And then the bullpen pieces they got 
and Tanner Scott and Cole Sulcer were the main two. They didn't really work out as, as much as the Marlins would have hoped. Uh, and then player development, um, they, they have to get better on the side of player development. They, they really do. But um, I'll get to mine in a second. I do want to bring in, uh, as our first guest on the show today, a first-time guest somehow on, on, on Swimming Upstream is probably Fish Stripes prospect of the year, I guess we could probably say, is Kevin Baral, who is a very young reporter, but who has done some great work, was there regularly covering this Marlins team and lived to tell the tale. So <laughs> Kevin Baral uh, from Miami, uh, great job this year, first of all. It's been awesome to follow your work and your young career so far. And I, I have no doubt as to why Eli brought you in because he sees a lot in you, and so do we. So I, I correct you a lot, and I give you I give you shit a lot. Like, let's just be honest in our chat and everything, which I, I'm only trying to help you get better, and I know you know that. But I did want to bring you in to talk with us because uh, I know you have a lot of thoughts on prospects, which I think is also really cool. So Kevin Barral, uh, you were there a lot this year, like I said. Go ahead. Thoughts, if you can give a brief summation on the Marlins in 2022. Yeah, man. Thank you for having me. It's I'm, I'm excited. First time on here. I can't wait to talk some prospects and share my amazing picks for especially AAA MVP, but you guys know who that will be. And uh, yeah, Marlins season was tough. Very disappointing. We we entered the season thinking this team maybe will be fighting for the playoffs. And I know Eli kind of said that we would think they would be in that position where the Brewers were in just a couple just a couple days ago, fighting for that final maybe wild card spot to eventually face the go to St. Louis and face the Cardinals. But unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But man, Sandy Alcantara was just was as dominant as ever. Probably the best season of any Marlins pitcher ever. Uh, Pablo Lopez, a full healthy season, pitched 180 innings. That's definitely two very big positives. Charles LeBlanc, who I, I assume we'll talk about definitely on the prospect end, was very very good for the Marlins in his in his young career so far. And uh, you know, disappointing. You, the signings of Jorge Soler, Avi Garcia really haven't worked out the best. Jacob Stallings really didn't live up to the height that we expected defensively, but he definitely unlocked a new level of Sandy's game, which I'll definitely give him that one as well as Pablo Lopez. And then if you're looking for a good trade, Joey Wendell's been pretty good for the team. The only issue has been obviously injuries. So we'll see. And then Miami got an all-star voted in with Jazz Chisholm. So definitely props for that. And Sandy Alcantara as well, I believe so. It was a, a lot of good, but I think we could say a lot of bad as well. And obviously the record speaks for itself. This team wasn't able to get it, uh, just put the pieces all together. And hopefully 2023 is a, a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. Um, tumultuous season, I think from the start, uh, you know, taking over, you know, when the vision changes like that, all of a sudden, you know, the vision changes from Jeter to Kim right there at the deadline or deadline, excuse me, right there at the lockout. And then you got to kind of move with it. Right. And I, I think they struggled from the start and I think it permeated through the whole season, but hopefully uh, things at that level at the upper level of the organization get better next season. Um, and I think that will start with how they rebuild it. Right. Uh, you got Donnie leaving, you got Denbo leaving, you got other guys on development leaving. Um, probably uh, we don't know this for sure yet, but probably other guys on the coaching staff leaving so that this new manager, whoever it is, can build at least somewhat of his own group. Right. So um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to see from top to bottom. There's going to be a lot to cover um, at the major league level and at the minor league level as the off season gets started here uh, for fish stripes. And speaking of fish stripes, there is no one better to have on our show today to especially comment on this, but also to comment on the minor league baseball on the minor league side of things as well. than this man, who's a repeat guest on the show and a great friend of ours that I have talked to 
for a long time and for many seasons of my eight-year tenure covering this Marlins team uh, with Fish on the Farm uh, is Eli Sussman, managing editor now of Fish Stripes. So Eli, I'll let you give your brief thoughts and summation on this Marlins team. So thank you again for being here. I'll let you go ahead. Thank you for bringing me on, Alex and Daniel. Good to see you, Kevin. Long time no talk. So I would just say this is a surreal season. Uh, and mostly, as you guys touch on, for negative reasons, where on the individual player level, the extended stretches of scoreless baseball, the times where it felt like nobody in the lineup was hitting, where uh, just against all odds, things sunk to pretty low levels when it came to hitting performance when it came to high leverage pitching, which was a carryover from last year, but somehow got worse at times this year. Like uh, obviously the struggles in one run games it's on the negative end felt surreal on the positive end. It also exceeded um, some of my highest hopes for Sandy, of course, in particular, uh, he's somebody that gets better every single year, but this year was not subtle. The leap that he made from being very good top of the rotation workhorse to being the guy to being as valuable as any individual pitcher in baseball was something I could not have foreseen. And given the context of them locking him up to a long-term contract before this season has turned into be just an absurdly uh, creative and successful transaction that doesn't come close to making up for all the negative transactions, but I just love the extremes of that happening and just the the disconnect between what we're all watching and what we're all interpreting about the team, the needs that the team has, the direction that the team's going in, and what actually gets done in the Marlins front office. I found that was surreal as well. Um, I, as I've emphasized several times, especially at the trade deadline, when we made it 100 games into this pretty disappointing, frustrating year, and they elected to do almost nothing at the deadline itself, there were just a lot of things where I was scratching my head as somebody that follows this team too closely, who spends too much time thinking about the Marlins and yet to be baffled by the way that this organization is being run. But as we've touched on, there's going to be changes to this organization that I have to imagine are going to be for the better, all things considered, because this was a pretty deep low, but it's just one year, just one year. As you said, you've been around for many years. I've been around for many years as well. It's just one year and things could flip in the other direction next year. So uh, I'm keeping an open mind and I always find ways to be entertained and uh, fulfilled by the game itself because there's always little surprises that goes on. So thank you again for bringing me on and I'm excited to switch gears a little bit instead of focusing on this major league product. Yeah, that's the point of the show. Uh, the point of the show is not the, the Miami Marlins um, and the season that they had is Eli and Kevin and Danny all pointed out. Sandy is incredible. Um, he's a guy that the Marlins will have here for a while. It looks like per this new deal that he signed. And I think that's what we can point to as probably the biggest plus for the Marlins in the offseason was the fact that they got this, this man on paper um, and he's going to be here for a while as the ace of this franchise and as one of the best 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 pitchers in baseball, and I think there's no argument amongst any of us, he's going to win the Cy Young Award, which is fantastic. So a lot of pluses along the way. One that you guys didn't point out, I will say, if we were going to pick a surprise player of the year for the Marlins, mine would be Braxton Garrett, just because of how much he turned it around. Uh, that guy was incredible. So that's the major league side of things. Definitely some pluses, but um, a lot of work to do. That's for another. Both, both him and uh, Lizardo. Those yeah, two were just, too, that sure. was amazing to see for both of them. 
that's yeah. a huge, but you know, after like two or three years of our pitchers being so good, sadly, it's kind of like, okay, great. Now let's see if we can get two runs, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, but I do, I do love Eli's optimism and I do love it because he really does find like this, the most random things on Twitter is like this specific stat and it does bring us a mile. So I do appreciate that, Eli. Yeah, I think they went undefeated with Billy Hamilton in their starting lineup. See, never forget I that, just right? love that. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> well, there you go. That's another thing to smile about for this Marlin season. But overall, I think we could say a tumultuous season. But like Eli said, it's just one year. Um, and the good thing is uh, we'll come back next year and see what happens. But that's the Marlins, and that's not the topic of our show. I know we went kind of long. But I want to get to the topic of our show, and that's, that's minor league baseball awards. So we're going to narrow this down. Uh, the Marlins did it a little differently than we're going to do. I'm going to narrow it down into a few categories. We're going to do our player of the year, our pitcher of the year, our MVP at each level of the system. And then we're also going to do a comeback player and a surprise player. So without any further ado, let's get into this. Um, and I will go to Danny first, man. Let's go player of the year for Daniel DeVivo and the Marlins minor league system is. Mm. <laughs> I thought about it a lot, man. And I think I'm just going to do something crazy. Um, you know, there are some candidates, but it's just no hitter really dazzled me, you know, for me to, I mean, you know, there's some names that I'll will mention in MVP and H level, but I'm, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to go with a, with a DSL player. I know it's weird, but even though it's not a full season, it's the first time I've really felt some real hope, you know, of having uh, a guy in organization, like maybe since, I don't know, since jazz um, that would really kind of change things. And maybe I'm being um, a bit uh, way too optimistic. It's only half a season from the guy, but I just love it, man. So I'm going to, I'm going to start it out with something different. And yeah, it's Jose Gerardo. Um, I just love, love what I saw from that kid. You know, the numbers that, that he showed, he can run, um, solid outfielder, the arm. And, um, so you obviously know who my MVP is for, for, for that level, but I mean, 11 home runs, 18 stolen bases and, in that small sample size obviously needs to work on the K's. Hopefully development can finally help a few of our guys, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it to him. man. All right. So Jose Gerardo for Daniel DeVivo for organizational player of the year. That's a surprise to lead us off. Uh, Kevin Burrell, Player of the Year, Miami Marlins minor league system. Go ahead. Player of the Year. This one was a little bit difficult, but as Daniel said, there wasn't really that one hitter that really dazzled this year. But I'm going to go with one that started in high A, stole 70 bases, and that is Mr. Nassim Nunez, who really, really has impressed me this year. Um, just 247 batting average, and this is in high A, 390 OBP. And what really surprises me is the high walk rate, 18% in high A, go to 14% in double A. He hit a homer. He hit a homer. Uh, and I believe high A, he hit one in double A as well. So very, very little power being shown there, but still something nice to see on his end. Uh, on base percentage, as we mentioned, extremely high. And this guy's hitting for contact. And 
I'm very excited. And when you look at the defense, he may be the best defensive shortstop in the organization for the Marlins. And this guy's going to be real good. Yeah, definitely. A special, special defense. No doubt that he's going to stick at shortstop for me whatsoever. He's uh, definitely one of my uh, level MVPs uh, for sure. So I'll, I'll get to him when I comment, but that's a good pick. Um, made the jump up to double A, like you said, and, and the defense definitely translated, I think needs to come by a bit more average just because the power is a little limited, right? Even though he showed a little bit more this year, definitely not a power first guy. So he needs to hit for that average. OBP is good. Just needs to get, get more bat on the ball. And I think that could happen as he grows. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, he is trying to become eligible to play overseas uh, in the Dominican. So we'll see what happens with that. But that being said, I will go to Mr. Eli. I was struggling with this initially, but it actually didn't take me long to, to land on one that I thought made the most sense. And that would be Gerard Encarnacion, who got off to an absurdly hot start with double-A Pensacola, quickly got promoted, and really, the only time he slumped all year was the couple of weeks right before he got moved up to the majors. And then, of course, he struggled in the majors as well. But he spent the majority of this year in the minors. He was somebody that was really off the grid last year. Last year was almost a lost year in 2021. He, he's not the overall prospect that Nassim is and probably not even that uh, Jose is, Gerardo is at this point. But in terms of just minor league performance, he was, for most of the year, he was hitting over 300. He had 22 home runs in less than 100 minor league games. And he was, at times, playing surprisingly good defense in the corner outfield spots as somebody that's always had some fundamental issues out there. The arm is pretty terrific. And I feel like he slimmed down a little bit this year compared to where he was early in his career, and it made him more athletic as well. He mashed. He was one of the few guys in this whole organization that mashed, and he did it once by repeating level, but then put up some good numbers in AAA to earn his spot up in the major league. So I think the most defining moment for him obviously happened in the majors in his debut, hitting that game-winning grand slam. But he went on a pretty incredible tear in the minors as well. So to me, considering that um, he kind of split time between the two levels, doesn't really make sense to be a, a team MVP for either Jacksonville or Pensacola. He had all together, and I think he had a really great year in terms of performance. It was a lot of fun watching him hit, hit bombs to all fields. He could pull it. He could go the other way. He could go to dead central. Um, that was it was a fun year to uh, to watch him, and, and I hope he puts it all together now that he is um, really just trying to prove himself in the majors at this point. Yeah, another good pick. I guess I guess we're all going to have a different pick, and Urar is definitely a, a big strong big strong man who can definitely go to all fields, as Eli said. So hope he gets his full shot. Uh, who knows if it's going to be first base or outfield? Definitely a good arm in the outfield. The routes, nah, I, I still say they're lumbering a little bit, but. Uh, man, this guy can definitely hit with the DH opened up. Now there's, there's room to be had if the Marlins wish it for him. So uh, if not, definitely a trade chip because he's definitely got special, special power, as Eli said. So I guess we're all going to have a different guy for this award, which is kind of expected because it was kind of hard as I agree with all of you guys, it was kind of hard to pick one and say, okay, that's your standout guy. But I went with the Marlins and went Yeti Cafe, uh, 112 WRC plus in 67 games at age 19, first stateside and full season ball seasons for this kid. Didn't really walk a lot, but also didn't strike out. It's a 3.6% walk rate, 13% K rate with Jupiter. Uh, 278 also with Jupiter with a pretty normalized BABIP. I think it was like 298, so even slightly low. Uh, Want to see more barrel contact from this guy for sure going forward. But, I mean, in a first full season showing, this was a special season from this guy. Uh, he can also play multiple defensive positions. I saw him in spring training, and he was literally laying out for ground balls and throwing darts uh, from third base from his knees. So this is a guy who has a ton, a ton of tools 
And I think it's going to be a very good guy for the Marlins system at such a young age, if they can coach it out of him, which is, of course, always what I go back to. So Yiddy Cafe, I did go with the Marlins on this one uh, as my minor league player of the year. Uh, that's my guy. So that's what I have on him. Uh, we'll go on. Uh, let's go to pitcher. I know who Danny's going to pick, but Danny, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, you got it. You, that's my guy. And he is my pick, but it wasn't easy. I mean, it was, I was kind of going back to the, you know, I felt kind of like a hypocrite with uh, <laughs> Sandy Alcantara, the amount of innings that he has. And the reason, of course, is in the decision between Eudi and Dax. You now it's like, I prefer Eudi's numbers, but I mean, the innings that Dax put, um, if I'm going to let, if anybody else chose Dax, I'll let them talk about Dax. But um, Eudi, man, that kid is just crazy. Um, everybody that listens to us knows how I feel about him. So there's not much I need to say. Obviously, like the ERA doesn't really show what he did. FIP is lower, of course. The K rate is, you know, out of this world. Um, and he's just, he has everything um that he needs to be an ace at the major league level obviously we don't want him to be rushed he still needs to learn a few things but i'm just so excited about him so yeah i'm gonna pick him i don't care all right danny going with this guy uh kevin go ahead yeah so you talked dax and yuri i went dax fulton for my picture of the year man this this guy's really freaking good i mean you just see what not only what he did in high A, because the, I mean, as Danny mentioned for Yuri, the ERA doesn't speak for itself. The FIP is a lot lower in, in high A, but in double A, three, 2.57 ERA, 3.11 FIP. And the innings is a lot higher in terms of Dax for Yuri. Um, Dax is really good, man. I mean, I don't think he's going to be in double A for too long after just seeing what he did. I think he'll get that call, the promotion to triple A a lot faster. Very strikeout dominant. I mean, 11.10k per nine the walks are pretty low as well at both levels so and the ground break and the ground ball percentage was under 50 this guy's really good i mean that, i think this was an easy pick and you could even say he was this year's yuri perez pro type prospect kind of what we saw last year from yuri we see it this year from dax and he's still very very young i believe he's 19 so or 20 so he he will he will definitely be a part of the rotation in two years maybe three and we were talking just a year ago about this guy maybe being one of the trade ships in a Brian Reynolds trade, for example. Now we're talking about this guy being the best pitching prospect in the organization or up there with Yuri Perez. So it's it's crazy to see how one year translate goes to another, and we see the improvements of, of Dax Fulton. Yeah, so we got Yuri, we got Dax. Uh, Eli, what do you got? It was a close call. I used the postseason performance as a tiebreaker, the double-A Pensacola of Luahu as they won the Southern League Championship in spite of Yuri. He tried his best, especially in that first start, to sabotage them. He was not good in that first outing back from uh, the injured list. And in that second, really, in the championship deciding game, he was fantastic for like two and two-thirds innings and then some bad luck on the way. Meanwhile, Dax was just incredible. I mean, he had one of the best minor league outings probably of anybody in this system all year in that postseason run was it 13 strikeouts in, mm -hmm. in six Career almost high. perfect innings uh, at the very end of the year as Kevin mentioned he'd spent most of this year in high a and got promoted near the end and 
he handled that promotion as smoothly as one could possibly hope. So really the main difference, uh, the reason why it's even a conversation between the two is because of the workload differences, as you mentioned, um, I think over 40 innings difference between them two, because Dax was just healthy the entire year. So that was really the the main distinction between them. It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. I, I still certainly feel that Yuri is their very best prospect, if not the very best pitching prospect in baseball. I think the world of him in this particular year, I'm going to reward Dax for simply being on the mound more often. And when it really counted, he put the team on his back in Pensacola. Yes, he did. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I have, sorry, Danny. Uh, I love Yuri. Of course, <laughs> like I said, I'm also going to go with Dax. Uh, Dax Fulton, um, man, with, with Beloit, the numbers don't look good, but when you dig into them deeper, you see why they weren't good. Um, and it was through no fault of his own. So of course he had the 4.07 ERA, but through a 3.08 FIP with Beloit. And then he goes up to, um, the blue Wahoos in a much smaller, much more hitter friendly stadium. And he has like a 2.57 ERA and a 3.57 FIP this big, tall lefty that I kind of describe as a bigger, stronger Braxton Garrett. That's kind of what I get at when I see um, just to relate him to somebody that's in within the Marlins organization to set that expectation. Uh, this kid's really good as Kevin got at um, really pitches from his size, really gets the most out of his size in terms of his deception. His arm angle, I think is really good. And he has three very, very, very good pitches fastball up to 95 can touch 96 Curveball's ridiculous, just like we saw with Braxton. His curveball's also ridiculous. Uh, but the difference with Dax is that he already has that that beautiful, beautiful third pitch, which, you know, Braxton had a work in progress as he came up. So this is definitely a, a, a guy to watch, a guy to look at. He has everything that the Marlins really look at and desire in a starting pitcher before he even gets to guys like Mel uh, and guys like that. So th- this is a guy at age 20, like Kevin said, playing against guys at the end of the season here in Pensacola – four and a half years older than him. And he's striking out 13 guys. You just have to look at that in a, in a season defining game for Pensacola. He went out and had that outing. I know it may be recency bias, but I can't move off of that. I had to give it to Dax Fulton. He's incredible. And he's going to be really, really, really good. Um, hopefully for the Marlins organization. So I went with Dax Fulton as well. All right. I want to do a quick parenthesis. Sorry to do this, Alex. I have to, I want to bring it up. All right. Let's do this quickly. Um, we're talking about pitchers here and the future specifically about pitching in Miami. It's been good for a while. It's going to be good for a long time. So we got six guys that are major league ready. You know, obviously you got Sandy, Lizardo, Eddie, Brax, Pablo, and uh, Trevor. Right. And then we have these top guys. we got Eudy, we got Dax, and let's say we got Eater. That's nine guys. So, I and the exercise that I want to do is we're going to pick one who you'd like the Marlins to trade. No, not who you think they're going to trade, but who you'd like them to trade to get hitters. I'm going to start. I'm going to go with, and obviously I love him. I think he's going to be amazing. But if it's done correctly, um, this is who I like. And it's Edward. Edward Cabrera. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough question. Uh, let me go. Let me go to. Let me go to Kevin. Kevin, I'm putting you on the spot as well. Per the guys that that Danny just mentioned, per these young pitchers that the Marlins have, if they have to get rid of one, which they should, because they need to deal from depth to get what they need, just give us the name. Who Who are you going to? This one's very difficult. I'm gonna go. 
I love this guy so much. Pablo Lopez. I, I think he will garner a good amount of value. I love Edward too much to to let go of him because he he showed some some really good stuff this season, to be honest with you. I know it's the injuries, but I think one year could go to another and Edward will will hopefully have a healthy 2023 because when he's healthy, we we get we we've seen what he's done. He's carried no hitters into games. He he's looked like baby Sandy, man. That, oh, that's yeah. what I'll say. Yeah, the, 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 and I think Mel had that quote as well um, in the Miami Herald mm-hmm. earlier today that he sees a lot of Sandy and Edward. And if Mel's saying that, I'm going to listen. So, uh, Eli, who's your guy? If you have to get rid of one, which, again, I think the Marlins are going to deal from pitching depth. And I think they should at least um, who, have to. Who, who, who are you going towards? Give me the names again. It's Edward, Pablo and who else? Edward, Pablo. I mean, obviously, Sandy's one of the pitchers, but he's not going anywhere. So Edward, Pablo, Sandy. Braxton, Lazardo, um, Trevor, those are the major league guys. And then you have the three, uh, Eater, Dax, and Audi. Yeah. I would go Edward. Um, it does, it does, you know, scare me that how <laughs> much horrible, people right? like to compare him to Sandy. But I mean, the main distinction is that Sandy is like Iron Man. He's never been hurt in his life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Edward, I mean, last year, this year, I think even the year before, so many of these injuries, um, I, I think that that's a pretty big red flag at this stage of his career. Yeah, during his starts, um, obviously the downtime in between his starts, and also, I mean, the fact that I just don't think his control is, is good enough at this stage of his professional career, even though we've seen guys like Sandy get better at it. Like, that's one thing you can improve. That's one thing you can coach. I think there's a lot of risk there. And I also think that a lot of this has to do with what their value is at the time. I think his value is pretty high right now because he was extremely effective this year in several individual starts against some really great competition. I love his pitch mix. He's a really deep pitch mix. You could say too deep of a pitch mix because he barely throws his fastball. So he is a real uh, enigma, but I think he's going to be, he would have a lot of value to other organizations and not quite as much to the Marlins as those other teams. So I think he, if his value is what I think it is right now, I think that would be the right move. Yeah. It's a, it's a tough question uh, for sure. Uh, do you trade the more polished guy with Pablo, like Kevin said, or do you go with the guy that, uh, you know, that hasn't, hasn't proven as much nearly as Pablo yet, but that has very good stuff. And at per Mel could be the next Sandy. So, I mean, when you, when you hear things like that from Mel, who is in the position that he's in, like I said, I'm going to listen to that. So, um, man, uh, do the Marlins have enough at the major league level that's major league ready right now to compete without Pablo Lopez? And with Eater coming back and Yuri on the rise, I say they do. Um, and I say Pablo Lopez would be my pick because he's going to bring back the best value, as Kevin said. Um, and he's going to give you that, that star piece that you need or help bring you that star piece that you need at either shortstop or center field, which they do need to do if they are serious about being contenders immediately. So um, if that message is going to permeate into 2023 that the Marlins are contenders right now, um, I think it's dealing from depth and unfortunately trading Pablo, maybe to somebody like the New York Yankees. I really point to the Yankees um, and I point to Cabrera as a guy that can play everywhere. Uh, He made his debut this year. He's going to play in the playoffs this year. He's probably going to show out. Um, It's a pretty good hit tool. It's mostly for average, but he's got some hidden power in it. That guy's solid and he can literally play everywhere on the field. So, and I think he's pretty good at shortstop. So that, if you want to ask me, like you asked me a who I would say Pablo, if you want to ask me a team and a 
potential trade piece to target, it would be a guy like uh, like Cabrera or maybe even Royce Lewis uh, from the Minnesota Twins who's coming back from injury, but he's a different story. But, you know, th- those two guys really stick out to me at a, at a, posi- at a very limited position that the Marlins really need. Um, it would be Pablo for one of one of or a guy like that, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, and although you only mentioned we only mentioned one each, they're probably going to trade more than one. Just assuming how much debt they have at the at the at this position, which is a really good thing to have because you go even deeper. I mean, into this, you, you know, MD Johnson's down there. He's been pretty solid for Beloit this year, and that's not maybe going to be the biggest piece going forward. But they have a lot of guys, and you didn't even mention Max Meyer, who has the Tommy John, and if he comes back and he looks better than ever, that's another piece in the rotation you could add there. So. 2024, though, right for him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it'll it'll probably be more than one more than one pitcher. I assume maybe goes, but probably oh yeah, no. Probably, yeah. They definitely have from depth, but these guys I think would be the ones that would really hurt any of these. Obviously, you know, ones more than others, but but yeah, no, you get you got depth in the in the system as always. You know, like the Antonio Velas, for example, that was a guy who they just got out of nowhere from depth, brought him up, traded him cool um so so yeah no i agree it will be more but i wonder how many of these nine like if they go two of those nine and trade it's a possibility because they have to be desperate yeah for sure they they got a lot to do um and they're gonna have to deal from depth like we said but with that said uh, that's probably a conversation for an off-season show, which we will get to, uh, and I'm sure Fish Stripes will get to as well. But had to we'll do get, it. Let's we'll proceed. But yeah, I know Danny had to do it. <laughs> yes, it was a great question, a hard question, but a good one, uh, especially at this juncture. But anyways, let's get to our uh, MVPs for each level. Um, we may repeat guys that we've already called out. So let me get to single A Jupiter. MVP for this level. Danny, you're up. Go ahead. Single A Jupiter, I got Jose, Jose Salas. Um, I mean, as a 19-year-old, 776 OPS, solid OBP, um, good slugging, along with 15 stolen bases. I, I like what I saw from him, so so let's go with him. Okay, Salas for Danny. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I'm, go- I'm going Salas as well. I mean, Danny hit it right there. Just Although he did get off to a very slow start. Uh, he got it going and earned that promotion to high A where he hasn't performed to the best, but I think it would be pretty good going forward. And especially if they sort into the position where we all assume he will project, which is third base. Yeah. So Salas uh, in agreement here so far, Eli, you on Salas or you got somebody else? I am also going Salas uh, for the reasons that you guys said to check out our interview with him on the tail ends of Fish Stripes Unfiltered that came out last week. He was very interesting to talk to in the Arizona Fall League right now. I just want to give an honorable mention to Zach Azubia. Let's go. Pretty interesting season <laughs> down there. He's not my MVP, but he was somebody that I was like, mm, he did so well. He did really well. All a little, little for the level, but yeah, yeah. he was, was good. Very much different from Salasia. Super late round draft pick who yeah. likes eventually got promoted to Beloit. So shout out to Zach Zubia. Yeah, I guess it's a clean sweep, but Zuby is awesome. But yeah, I guess it's a clean sweep. Uh, we're gonna all going to go Salas. It's a 19-year-old playing against 22-year-old competition uh, for the most part there. Um, and he puts up a 123 WRC plus with Jupiter. As Kevin said, he goes up to Beloit. Uh, it was a little more stringent there in terms of his production, but uh, getting used to a new level as a 19-year-old playing against even older competition, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of tough. So um, yeah, again, they're with Beloit. Um, so yeah, I mean, a guy at age 19, that is really coming into, I think what is going to be a really good 
power tool, uh, which I think will permeate to his future at third base. I do agree with Kevin uh, that eventually he moves to third base, but is capable of other positions, second base, shortstop, and others. So, yeah, also competing right now in the Arizona Fall League as I think, if I'm not mistaken, the third youngest player in the Arizona Fall League. So, um, yeah, this is definitely a guy to look at and really see that the Marlins want to see exactly what he has and get him as many reps as possible and see where the, his future is going. So it's definitely a guy that's ex- definitely going to be a guy that's uh, has his name heard, well heard uh, in the Marlins organization if he sticks around, and I think he will. So Jose Salas for me as well for single A MVP for the Jupiter Hammerheads, and we will go on to the Beloit Skycarp. Um, so who, who's up? Danny DeVivo, uh, Beloit Skycarp MVP for you. Go ahead. Let's, let's start with someone else. Uh, I don't want to blow everybody's picks every time. <laughs> what do you think, uh, Kevin? You go first. All right, okay. Kevin, what? Ooh, you put me on the spot here. I, I wanted to see who you would choose. but <laughs> I, I was between three guys, obviously. This was a level where both the guys were our choices for um, pitcher of the year, obviously, except Danny and um, position player of the year, which was Nassim and, and Fulton. So I'm going to go with a different pick, and I'm going to go MD Johnson for the Beloit MVP. Solid year for the guy, man. I mean, he's been really good, and I don't have the stats right now in front of me because this was definitely the hardest level I had to choose from when it came to MVP because, you know, the record speaks for itself. They weren't the greatest in the first half, and then second half they moved on, and they were pretty solid. But he pitched a full other season, I'm pretty sure. So it's the first time I've heard of a minor leaguer in the Marlins system repeating the level completely in in, sing, in uh, high A, so I'm going to go MD Johnson for my high A MVP, but obviously Nassim and Fulton would be the obvious picks there, but let's let's be a little weird, and let's go MD. Gotta get that guy out of Beloit. Definitely gotta get Jesus. that guy. I can't believe they didn't get him yeah, to double A this year at some point. They need to get him out of Beloit, and I think they will next season, but he probably should have been there before now. Anyways, um, my conversation with him was great. I, there's an interview that I did with him later on, but yeah, or, or earlier on this season uh, on the website, which was fantastic. So yeah, they, they, they need to get that guy out of, out of single A advanced late. Um, that's what I'll say about him. Now, since we're going in a different order, I'll give you guys mine before I go to Eli. Um, and I will go with Nassim Nunez um, for my MVP at this level. Uh, switch hitting middle infielder, like we said before, I think we, uh, another one of us already called him out, um, given a ton of reps this year, handled them pretty advantageously. I would say, as Kevin said, I think earlier average was pretty limited 247, but God has called the double a and he boosted it up in a more hitter friendly environment to 261 Beloit more favors pitchers than hitters. Um, and then Pensacola is kind of the opposite. So, um, on base skills though, permeated pretty much all year. Um, this guy has a good average written all over him. If he can, you know, make his bat to ball skills permeate, um, you know, over the course of what he does next as he grows into the double a level. And I think he showed that already. So I think he's good, man. I think Nassim is, is, is going to be decent enough at the plate to stick as a starting shortstop. And his defense is special, 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 all the way across the board. This guy's arranging into left field to make catches, ranging into center field to make catches, making diving plays. Arms pretty good. Man, he checks so many boxes. This guy is definitely, definitely good. And then the speed, like, what did he say, like 70 bases? So this guy's got, like, three-plus 60-grade tools, in my opinion. So I really do like... Jose Salas, even though 
you know, more of his production came when he went up later on in the year to double A. I think he was still very, very good in single advance despite that limited batting average. So, yeah, uh, Nassim Nunez is going to be my guy for single A advanced MVP. And I will go to Eli. Go ahead. Skycart MVP. I'm also going with Nassim, which is hard to believe considering how he started the year. A one for 34 slump coming out of the gate and all the way deep into all the way through April into May. The strikeout rate was absurd. It was in the 40s percent for a guy that you need to get on base. That was scary. What what I found is from May through July, he was maybe my favorite player to watch in the entire organization. He totally flipped things around, making an impact in ways that even um, go beyond the box score and go beyond anything unless you really watch him, all the little things that he does to help teams win games. So he turned himself into one of the premier of on-base machines in minor league baseball when he was in the late May through July. And when he get on base, as you've already touched on, just absurdly aggressive and efficient, just unstoppable. Once he got on there, he turns walks into triples all the time and he walks a lot. So my big question with Nassim entering this year is uh, whether he was just exploiting pitchers, young pitchers who couldn't throw strikes at lower levels. I didn't know if the walk rate was legit. I didn't know how much was discipline versus how much was him just being a tiny human being that has a tiny strike zone. He proved um, both during Beloit and even more so when he moved up to Pensacola that there's a lot of discipline there. There's a real skill there. So I am uh, immensely excited about his future. This was a big, huge step for him where at this point, I think even he was an early round draft pick and I'd say that at this point, it looks like they even got a great value despite all they invested in him because he does look like a potential regular moving forward based on all the things that he does well. Yeah, 100%. Um, will stick at shortstop, no question. Um, and I think, he, like I said, I think he will do enough um, offensively at the next level to, uh, to be a starter. So uh, Nassim is really, really a great athlete and a guy to really be excited about. Like I said, I think he's got 360 great tools. Anyways, Danny, uh, you wanted to go last here, I think. So go ahead. <laughs> yeah, um, it's also the same. Um, and I do, obviously, I wasn't there, but you have to think that that crazy start that um, Eli mentioned has to do with that horrible, horrible weather, horrible cold, um, something that he's not really that used to. It's, it's hard. It's really hard to hit. And obviously, it didn't happen to every single player. It happened to all of that lineup. But um, maybe for Nassim, it was just tough. I mean, those those that first month at that weather, you know, it's. It, I'm assuming that temperature is just so hard to to play with. So, so I want to see how he does starting at Double A um, next season. You know, from the get go, knows the city now, um, and yeah, also pretty excited about him. All right, so mostly not seen with a nod from Kevin to MD Johnson, which I also thought was a, a good pick here. Uh, let's go to Double A. I'll, I'll go first just to keep it out of order. Double um, A, Pensacola, tons to watch. Of course, we know they were they were champions of the Southern League for the first time in franchise history by themselves. Uh, so yeah, this was an awesome team to watch all year. Uh, probably if I had to pick a favorite, my favorite team to follow, just because. And Daniel was there, and he knows uh, just the atmosphere at the park and what we see with their fans and everything else that they do with engagement on social media and everything else. This is an awesome team to follow. I'm glad they're with the Marlins organization. I'm glad everybody's with the Marlins organization, but especially this one. So 
Let's talk about Beloit MVP. I, I give it to Paul McIntosh. Uh, dude just keeps going. Pushed pretty damn hard after being selected as a UDFA last year, right? Caught all the Marlins' big prospects um, in spring training this year. And that's kind of where I started to really keep an eye on him. Um, dudes, I, I think this is one of the strongest guys in the organization. I saw him, you know, in spring training against double-A pitchers, fellow double-A pitchers, some of which are top prospects for other teams. Pitches on the outer half, and he's pulling them the other way for home runs or at least off the fence at some of those fields there in Jupiter. So this guy's good, man. Big, strong guy, capable of some serious power, but also a pretty selective approach, which led to a 379 on base percentage this year, 75-55 KBB um, as he got pushed up to double A, uh, you know, 0.73 BBK. So that's nearly a walk per strikeout. So only second to Zach Zubia, who Eli mentioned previous. Um, in the patients department. So this guy's good, man. Um, I don't know what I don't know. And this is what I don't know about Paul. I think he's really good at blocking. Um, I don't really know about his framing. It's hit or miss. And I really don't know about his arm because the metrics around his arm and the numbers surrounding his arm were not fantastic. However, as a guy who can hack it behind the plate, who got beat up a ton behind the plate, catching these double A pitchers, some of which were called up from single A advanced. And now he's, you know, tasked with catching these guys that may have their control, learning their control and everything else. Uh, this guy was fantastic this year. It's a great dude, an older dude, but he's playing at a level that befits him. I thought he played at a level right around his own age. And he was very, very, very good in terms of average competition. That is, I think this guy was very good. Pitchers rave about him. They like the big target behind the plate. I do think he's good at blocking. Like I said, so PMAC is my guy mostly based off of, his, off of his offense, um, but he can also play other positions, um, plays left field and first base uh, if he needs to. So definitely an athlete. So PMAC's my guy for double A, um, and I'll go on. Eli, double A, go. I wanted to give this to PMAC. I seriously considered it. Ultimately, the defensive concerns were high on my mind, in addition to the time missed due to injury. I also thought very seriously about Troy Johnston. This is, I think, the first time we've mentioned him somehow on this conversation. Troy had a very good year in Double A, and he had, in particular, a couple-week stretch that goes up there with like the most amazing two-week stretch that any Marlins hitting prospect has had in recent memory. Right in late May, early June, that was something to behold what he was doing there during that homestand in, in Pensacola. But ultimately, I just went with Yuri because I needed to give him some sort of award, and he was not my pitcher of the year pick. I felt he deserved this. Like he was, for most of this season, he was terrific, as we've mentioned, doing it as the very youngest pitcher, maybe the very youngest player that started the year at Double A. He was right before his 19th birthday, and he was amazing. Um, his overall numbers were skewed a little bit by that final start where he was like pitching through an injury that like inflated his ERA by a full run or something. So it made him look very pedestrian uh, when you zoom out, even though that was clearly not the case. That's, the vast majority of his starts were awesome. The peripherals were even better than the run prevention would suggest. Like he was just pounding the zone. He was his, I mean, aside from just the results, I mean, his stuff ticked up this year. And there were rumblings about it in spring training that, man, this guy, he's not throwing mid-90s, he's throwing high-90s. He's hitting 100, and that, that proved to be accurate and not hyperbole. Like, his stuff is amazing. He came up with that new pitch. I mean, last year, I think, it was mostly curveball, and then this year he has this slider cutter thingy that he all of a sudden became one of his best pitches. 
as well. So he just is a guy, he got better. He went to a higher level competition, he got better, struck out 106 and 75 innings at double A. He was the ace of that rotation pretty easily in a rotation that had guys that had a lot more experience than he did. So it was a close call. That was, as you mentioned, just a fun affiliate to watch this year for a number of reasons. They had a, gr- a lot of just great individual talent. Um, and it was fun. And Yuri was, it was a very successful year for him. The, the expectations were high. And I felt at times he fully met them, if not exceeded them a little bit. Yeah. I also think just to be brief on this before I go to Danny, um, you know, just in terms of, making it through injury and making it back healthy at the end of the season, I think was an important note uh, to cap off his season, to make it through. It was just simple arm fatigue. We know that, but you know, just to go through injury and make it back and prove that, Hey, I can get through this and come back and still pitch pretty well. Right. So I think that was a good way for him to end. What was a very good season for Yuri Perez, which is very impressive. Uh, But Danny double a go. I told the guy once that I didn't need to go first and he put me last two times in a row. I mean, that's, that's just wrong. Um, by the way, the, I believe Eddie was to start the season, the youngest guy, not only at double a, but if you count it high, a guys like the advanced, uh, a level, I think he was also the youngest there. It's crazy what he did. And he, he's, I mean, I chose him as the pitcher of the year. So obviously he'd be my guy here, but since I already did that, I'll go with PMAC as well. Um, people don't understand how hard it is to hit as a catcher. You know, like you have so much stuff you need to concentrate on. And then this guy full season, um, you know, 90 games, 383 plate appearances and, and came up with a, you know, 125 WRC plus 844 OPS. Uh, He even stole 10 bases. Obviously it's not something that we think he's going to do at that even higher levels MLB when he gets there, but it's just great to see. And, and as uh, Alex said, he does have power, but it's not 30% K power. You know, it's 19% K rate at double a that to me is impressive, especially in this system, everybody strikes out in our system. So it's really cool to have a guy who can give you a 470 slugging and not strike out 35% of the time. So, so yeah, I'm going to give it to, to PMAC here. Yeah. Agreed. Um, just a guy out of nowhere as that UDFA guy. Um, definitely. Uh, PMAC's a great pick. Agreed with it for sure. Uh, I know Daniel said he was last on double A, but he's not because Kevin still has to give his double A pick. So Kevo, what do you got? <laughs> I'm going to go with the player Eli mentioned right at the start, Troy Johnston. Um, it was difficult not to go Troy. I, I was between him, Yuri, and obviously Paul McIntosh, you guys all mentioned. But when you're hitting 292 and you have maybe one of the best stretches, as Eli mentioned, out of any minor league player in, in a long time, it's really hard not to choose him because, you know, and under 20% strikeout rate, you have to mention that. And he did a get off to a pretty rough start in, in double A. We all remember that 10 homers as well. Uh, OBP is very high, 360. It, it was very difficult not to choose Troy Johnson. And he also did earn that promotion to triple A. So I guess he got to put in account his great performances leading up to that amazing promotion that he very much deserved to go to AAA, especially with the age. He was 26, so I think it was time to move him up there. But I'm going to go Troy Johnston, and 
He's also a fish reps and filtered guest. So if you want to see that interview, that is also on YouTube. Shameless plug. Indeed he is. It was a great conversation too. Um, I did have him before you guys did, but still it was good. Anyway, um, great guy, uh, great dude. It was fantastic. Me and Danny had a great conversation and I loved your conversation with him as well. Fantastic dude. Uh, Troy's a great pick. Um, PMAC, great pick. Uh, Yuri, great Such pick. a nice guy. Like he's yeah, so nice, you know, like, uh, I don't know. Just had to say it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sam in spring as well. He's fantastic. I know. I know you guys did too, Kevin. And all those others were there in spring. Isaac, you guys all saw him as well. He's he's a great dude. So um, wish him the best. Uh, his call up to AAA uh, wasn't great, but um, I, I what I've said to other people with that because people have asked me, oh, what happened to Troy? I really think it's just you know it's the most extensive full season of his pro career or baseball career as a whole, and the body just kind of wore down on him. So hopefully, um you know, he can build that back up uh, as he goes on in his major league career. Uh, and I do think he's a major league contributor in 2023 for Troy Johnson. I think he's, I think he's ready. So that's going to be it on him. And speaking of AAA, we'll go to that level now. Um, who wants to go first on this one? Uh, Eli, go, go first. Somebody that needs an honorable mention here has to be La Tortuga. Williams Astadio, who <laughs> I think anyone um, ruined the best Kevin's pick. that they had in Jacksonville this year on a team that had a lot of good performing years. <laughs> he had 307, <laughs> 371, 541 slash line. He had as many home runs as strikeouts. He had 16 home runs and 16 strikeouts while playing first base, second base, third base, catcher, but a lot of DH, of course. Um, he, he's not my pick, but he deserves an honorable mention because they my put pick. him there. They put him there, and he filled all the gaps that they needed to fill. He is overqualified for that level, but yet, obviously, underqualified for the majors. The classic quad A player. So this is true. Triple A MVP. He's the quad A. There you MVP, go. All right. So with the Triple A MVP, I'll give it to Charles LeBlanc, who we were all over him very early in the year. He finished last year very strong in the Rangers organization, yet they left him unprotected for the minor league portion of the Rule Five, much to um, the Marlins' benefits and glee. And almost right away, he showed some very exciting hitting potential. Should have been up even earlier. If they called him up when we wanted him to be called up, then maybe he doesn't play enough to even be in that MVP conversation. But in my mind, he did spend the vast majority of the season in AAA, so he played enough to um, certainly be the pick there. Let me just get to some of his numbers, although I'm sure you guys have plenty of those as well. Yeah, what was it, 380-something? But fairness, I can't even find OBP? it. OBP? Yeah, 381 OBP. Yeah, no, let's see. Yeah. 360 played appearances, 87 games, 14 home runs. Yeah, he had 300, he slugged over 500. He played a bunch of different positions versatility was great it's just the the hitting ability that he has the very simple swing and the willingness to use all fields he was just consistently pretty terrific and a great find for this organization definitely uh leblanc uh i will always champion charles leblanc he's fantastic um canadian superstar so love charles leblanc great pick uh kevin is it is it astadio it is Astadio. Eli, <laughs> Eli kind of gave the teaser to my pick there. I mean, I, I told you guys off camera, this guy's like the Mike Trout of AAA. This guy is putting up crazy numbers. 311 batting average, 371 OBP, 549 slugging, 920 OPS, 16 homers, 53 RBIs. 
I wish he could do this at the major league level, but unfortunately it, it, it'll stay at triple A. And as Eli mentioned, he's probably at best a quad A player. So I'm going to go Williams and uh, I'm excited to see who you guys go with. Danny. It's, it's, it's LeBlanc. I mean, what a season from that guy. And, you know, Eli mentioned all of the offensive prowess and it's a lot, but, but fielding too, you know, he can play so many positions. Um, we just saw like last game of the season, the play that he made running towards center field. Um, and he's just, you know, he did a flat, he made a flashy play there, but I also want to talk about his, his, um, consistency, you know, like not many errors and playing the infield is tough, you know, maybe not shortstop, but still, um, let's, that's what between both levels, that's four, five five errors the whole season between second base and third base um just consistent um in that side of the of the ball and you add the the bat to that he's legit you know i really like what i saw from him season yeah he's definitely solid uh went up to the marlins and definitely produced as well um especially on certain occasions and literally like you said plays everywhere just a great utility guy to have and you need those guys around if you're going to build a winning team, right? So um, I think we learned that this season as well. Uh, this was a hard one for me. But I'm going to go different from all of you guys, and I'm going to go with my own narrative and say it's Brian Miller. And it's Brian Miller because Brian Miller almost hit 300 this year. He was very close to doing it. I think he was at like 296 with like four games left in the season. He hit 292, 349, 434 with a 108 WRC+. Plus. And the dude just freaking grinds. Like this guy – knows that he hasn't been given his full shot and he doesn't let any of that bother him. He's also a new father on the personal side of the ball. Um, and he just goes out there and plays, man. This guy goes out there every day, gives it his all. He's that heart and soul type of player. He's great in the clubhouse. You talk to anybody in Jacksonville and they'll let you know that Brian Miller is great, not only on the field, but off the field as well. He's fast as hell, steals bases, covers the ground in center field, and he's damn good. So I really hope, I really hope and I've been hoping for a couple of years now, but I still really hope that Ryan Miller is given his full shot with some major league team, hopefully the Marlins, but some major league team gives this guy his full shot because he's going to give you 100%. So Brian Miller is my, and he was there all year. Uh, LeBlanc was there most of the year, but LeBlanc was there all year and he was grinding out all year. So Brian Miller's my guy, Triple uh, A MVP for me. It's an excellent pick. Definitely. Uh, we'll go on and I'm going to be brief on these, Danny. I know you want to get to these because I know this is your thing, but I'm going to be brief because I'm running out of time. Actually. I already gave my guy. I already gave my guy. I'm already out of time, but we're going to go to these guys just because I know we need to get to them because we need to call out these young studs. So let's go DSL, FCL. Give me your two guys, one at DSL, one at FCL, and a brief why for each one. And that'll be uh, it for them. But I know you want to get to this. So go ahead. Well, I mean, I already talked about Gerardo. um so he's amazing and just to throw out a picture um Santiago Suarez uh, pretty excited about that kid at the DSL level 231 ERA 1.08 whip uh, nine Ks for nine innings just awesome control no walks um so he's DC DSL guy and FCL uh, let's talk about our, our Altuve Javier Sanoja um He's yeah, just really fun to watch. 382 OBP at uh, the the complex, the FCL level. Um, but not just some little dude who will hit 
you know, he has uh, pop 514 slugging at that level. He struggled a bit at low A. They really challenged him with that uh, assignment and, and struggled there, even though he did start uh, well. But he came back after his FCL stand after killing that level and did much better. So, yeah, I want I want to see what he does. Uh, it's exciting to have our own our own little do it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Sonoha Sino is definitely a great pick. Eli, I know you're usually low on these guys. You're like, yeah, I got to see it permeate stateside, which I understand. Um, and you're not wrong uh, in most cases. But do you have guys here that you really looked at and said, okay, I can kind of see it in this guy? Uh, I'm just going to add on some names that we haven't mentioned already. Marco Vargas was, aside from Asadio, he was the only one in this organization that played like 50-plus games with more walks and strikeouts. Do always love to see that, especially for a player that is – young or age appropriate for the level. Like he just turned 17 right before the season started. That's very encouraging. He played third base, second base, shortstop, alternated between those three. So at least offensively shows a lot of promise there. And on the pitching side in the DSL, Lester Mean deserves a shout out. He's he's from the Dominican, uh, 18 years old this past season. I, I just remember that he finished this season with a big exclamation point. A 10 strikeout game in the DSL is extremely rare because those pitchers just usually don't work that deep into games or they're usually just not efficient enough to have that type of performance. And he was just extremely consistent with like one blunder in there out of nine outings. That was awfully encouraging overall at an ERA in the mid ones of one fifty one batting average against just extraordinary uh, performance for him. Well, let's see what it looks like when he moves up a level. I want, I want a second uh, Daniel shout out of Javier Sanoa. That is a fun player. We got to see quite a bit of him in low A as well. And so you get some more of the measurables and more details on him. And he seems like, he seems like a fun player. Like he is even, he's a tiny guy, but extremely quick and unusual versatility for that age to play both all those infield positions and center field as well. So yeah, overall uh, on the FCL side, not a whole lot of guys that I thought put up sexy stuff it was it was mostly on the dsl where i and i'm very hopeful just like based on scouting the stat line and um that they could turn into something of course early in the show uh daniel already mentioned gerardo and um the way that he stuffed the stat sheet was especially rare and uh unique so he is the one really above all else that um i i'm most eager to see brought over stateside and it's ironic because for so many years, the international strategy was get one super dude and, 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 you know, see what happens. But the results at the DSL level for hitters, especially wasn't, it just wasn't good. But now we have our super hero, 17 year old hitters, just blowing that league up. And, you know, you mentioned a few of them. Churio is also pretty exciting Peguero it's like guys I really really want to watch next season it was it's what a, as I mentioned just keeps me hopeful about our, our hitting at um for you know for the Marlins I think that's a good segue into mine because I do have Chorio um as my guy in the DSL at age 17 hitting 344 429 410 can't argue against it switch hitter uh really advanced for his age i don't think much power yet but this is a 17 year old kid with a projectable frame he's already 62 171 he's going to grow into that frame and come by more power so i really like this guy um i really think this kid could be good if everything works out of course there's a lot of variance with these younger prospects as eli always points out but um if there's 
one or a few to like. I think you guys yes. have reached out to a few. And I think it really speaks to this that strategy that they had this year of going with a quantity over quality, not signing that big name, you know, big money guy like the Victor, Victor Mesa or Victor, Victor Jr. or Victor Mesa Jr., excuse me. Um, and just going with, you know, like 50 guys or whatever the heck they got in this signing class um, and just hoping that some of them work out. And they had at least in the positional side, they had at least like six guys that you could point to and really say, OK, this guy could really be something good. So I think it was a good strategy for them, especially with the pool that they had, which I think was like six or seventh, and you know, amongst other teams. So just to spread the pool around and, and hope you hit on something. And I think they hit on a bit here. So that would be my guy for DSL and for FCL. I liked Johnny Malenciano. Um, first day side action for this kid was playing against double A pitching, mostly in spring training, along with PMAC. Um, you know, he's on those same fields. And Kevin Guerrero, when Kevin Guerrero was here before he got traded, those guys were all playing on the same fields because I think the Marlins wanted to show them off. And I think they wanted to show Malenciano off too and probably just prep him for maybe a push. So that's always impressive to me when I see guys that are so young playing against um, paying against bigger stuff really on those bigger fields. So he definitely did that. Um, it was 287, 388, 402 this year for him in the FCL walked a bit 23, 15 KBB lefty hitting, and he's a center fielder. So something that the Marlins don't have a lot of is a true center fielder. And I think this guy can hack it in center field contributed 14 outfield assists this year. So Johnny Malinciano, uh, probably a lesser down guy that is not talked about a lot but I think should be because I think he could be pretty good, probably more limited in the power department than, uh, you know, just because less projectable size. But other than that, I think it's a guy that could play for a good average and stick in center field um, if everything works out. So those are my two guys is Chorio and Melenciano for DSL FCL. I don't know if Kevin, you have anything to add to this? Who are you got? Who are your guys? If any, or if you agree with any of us, go ahead. Well, DSL, I'm obviously going to go with what Daniel said, Jose Gerardo. This guy is crazy, just the stats looking at it. In FCL, I'm going Yidi Cape, who was really good in the FCL. 305 batting average, 364 OBP, 517 slugging, 881 OPS, 6 homers, 25 RBIs. You know, strikeouts way under 20%. He was at 14%, and then the walk rate almost at 10 Yurikabe is really good, and then he made the transition up to uh, low A, and he started off very well, very consistent, but little by little, I think, uh, I guess just the long season is what got him, a, decreased the stats a little bit and didn't let him allow him to have the best ending to that season, but I'm going Yurikabe FCL. Gotcha, yeah, good pick for sure, uh, and my player of the year, definitely impressed in the FCL on his way up to Jupiter, so good pick from Kevin. Uh, let's close it out. We're going to do two last ones to close out the show. I know it's been a longer show, but definitely worth it because some great insight here onto some prospects that you guys may know about and maybe some guys that you don't know about. Uh, that's what we're all about on Swimming Upstream. So this has been a great show so far. So let's talk about two last uh, awards to give away that the Marlins didn't give away that I wanted to give away on our show. And we're going to talk about Comeback Player of the Year and Surprise Player of the Year. And we could be brief and just do these all at once. So I'm going to go first on this one and I'm going to go with comeback player of the year is a Kevin Barral special who I know he loves very much. George Soriano is my comeback player of the year because he came back from pitching in 18 games last year um, and a late start to that season as well. And he was pretty good in 47 innings or I'm sorry, in um, how many innings did he even throw? Uh, 76 innings pitched this year between double A and triple A. He actually made it up to triple A this year, which is where he spent most of his time. And he was pretty good between both levels. Um, this guy has a nasty, nasty slider. 
fastball up to 96, 97, and he could be a very good lights out closer piece for the Miami Marlins. I think very shortly, uh, I don't think he's very far away at all. Um, I thought he might have been on his way to a late season call up, but um, you know, they called up other guys like Nardi and uh, I think he deserved it as well. And then they kept going back to their other guys that they have been recycling, which that is what it is. But uh, this is another guy that I had in line for a potential call up to, uh, to the Marlins this year. Um, if not, definitely next year. So I like George Soriano, man. I think he's got that back end uh, bullpen kind of ceiling. And I think he really came back well from what looked to be a pretty serious injury last year. So George Soriano is my comeback. Um, and then for my surprise, I went between two guys. I went between PMAC and Kyler Castillo. But since we already talked about PMAC, I'm going to talk about Kyler Castillo, who is another undrafted free agent who did very, very well in 2022 with Beloit. Um, this guy just pretty much came out of nowhere. He first played for Jupiter and then played for Beloit most of his season in Beloit and with Beloit damn good and pretty sparing time, but 280, 375, 336. So limited power, but, um, he only paid pretty sparingly. He was kind of the off the bench kind of a guy, but man, when he was playing, he was coming up with some clutch situations and showing some good stuff. So Kyler Castillo, uh, a name that maybe people don't know about. He's a little bit older. He's 24 undrafted free agent, but I think this guy could be good. Um, definitely has a floor, I think, as a potential fourth outfield piece, kind of like in that same Troy Johnson category as a guy that just comes out of nowhere. Male, this could be maybe the next guy that you could point to in, in that same light. So my surprise player is between PMAC and Kyler Castillo, and my comeback is George Soriano. But I will go on and go to Danny to give his two here to close out the show. Danny, go ahead. My comeback player, uh, I won't talk too much about him because Eli already did. It's Gerard, uh, Gerard Encarnacion. He, after 2021, we were kind of all down on him. He was injured when he played. It wasn't really special, like 40% K rate. We all probably thought like, okay, you know, he had his year in 2019, maybe not much left, but he just came back and destroyed, just destroyed double A. So he's, he's my, um, my guy for comeback and surprise or breakout um it's josh simpson i mean the season that this dude had was incredible he started out double uh, a with a scoreless streak crazy scoreless streak i remember the the amount of innings right now um just started out incredibly absolutely nasty just a strikeout artist he was in the whole system as a reliever the eighth pitcher with the most strikeouts. So it's, you know, he had more strikeouts than Eddie Pettis. Uh, 112 strikeouts in a total of 68 innings. Um, that is absolutely crazy. That's a 40.7% uh, K rate. And uh, ERA ended up a little inflated by the end at AAA, but uh, the BABIP which was, was just through the roof. FIP ended up at three ERA, or sorry, at three, uh, the FIP. And so, yeah, I mean, I really liked him, and he will definitely be a player uh, for next season with the Marlins. Awesome. Yeah, Simpson, I thought, was another guy, along with Soriano, who I mentioned that should have been here out of, pitching out of the bullpen if they could have helped it. Um, and rule five eligible, by the way, which I always like to point out. But anyways, Eli knows that and Kevin does as well. But anyways, let's go to Kevin and then Eli to close it. Kevin, uh, comeback player, and you may pick George as well. You maybe you'll pick somebody else. And then um, 
surprise player for you in the system? Well, comeback, I went Nassim Nunez, just letting me a little bit down after 2021 and 2022. I mean, he, he was good enough to win my position player of the year for the minor leagues and breakout player. You mentioned him. I went with PMAC. This guy really came out of nowhere for me. You mentioned him very, very early on in the 2022 season. We saw a little bit of him in spring training, played a little first, played some catchers, and um, now he's here and, uh, and, and on the cusp, hopefully, of AAA. He'll probably be promoted to that level, and maybe we'll be talking about him maybe making the major leagues at towards the end of the 2023 season. All right, perfect. Great picks there, uh, definitely. Definitely. Uh, not same, definitely impressed for sure. And then PMAC, just like you said, out of nowhere as that, that UDFA kind of guy, uh, for sure. Definitely. So good picks. Uh, Eli, these are going to be our last picks. Close us out. Who do you got? Um, comeback player and surprise player for you. I thought comeback player was the easiest award on my board, doubling up on Girard again, because I had almost lost hope in him at this time a year ago and the season that he put together. Um, reinstilled some of that faith in him and certainly made him a prospect again. So I mean, we've already touched on everything that he did and how he bounced back because he was looking like a good prospect in before the pandemic and then right after laid an egg and then bounced back again. So certainly come back from him. You guys mentioned good breakout player of the year picks uh, as well. So I like those. The one that I went with, I went with Yiddy. Yiddy Kepe for this because he was already, you know, a good prospect, certainly because of what they invested in him. He was on everybody's radar entering this year. What I was excited about is um, the contact skills that he has um, actually seeing his swing again and again and again against a lot of different hitters. Um, I, I'm really high now on his hit tool potential and for him to do that somebody that has really long limbs, that's what you worry about most is whether or not they're going to be able to cover the entire strike zone and able to put balls in play and for him to be kind of elite in this farm system in terms of contact rate strikeout rate in like 13, 14%. That's pretty elite for a guy facing older competition uh, for somebody that has shown some power. And just based on his frame, he still has a lot of room to grow into uh, like he kind of vaulted for me from a guy that was a, a good prospect into someone that is on the short list, the best prospects in this organization. So to make that jump, it's nice that some guys kind of sneak into the bottom of the top 30 um, out of nowhere. That's a nice story. But, but for me, in terms of the ones that uh, the big impact of uh, the big storyline of this year, to me, Giddy uh, breaking, like performing as well as he did uh, while moving up in the organization. That was very exciting. Just to mention anybody that hasn't been mentioned already, how about Pat Monteverde had a really great season lefty who spent a lot this year in Beloit moved up to Pensacola in a draft class, the, what the 2021 draft class that doesn't look too sexy in hindsight on the pitching side. Like he's, he could be the best. He might be the best arm that they got. Uh, he's a very impressive and polished pitcher. I liked watching him this season and I have to bring up a very unconventional breakout player of the year candidate. Again, didn't win it for me, but he's in this discussion. Pitcher Sean Reynolds for him in his second year <laughs> as a pitcher, yes. um, far removed from his days as a struggling as 